The Mets win a big series in Atlanta, a contending team in the AL fires their manager, and some love for the Seattle Mariners and Baltimore Orioles as we head into the final weekend before the All-Star break. The NHL has their free agency period in the sun with lots of new faces and new places. The Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, Evgeny Malkin trio are reunited in Pittsburgh, but is that a good thing? The Jazz traded Rudy Gobert a couple weeks ago, and now they're willing to listen to offers for Donovan Mitchell. The Open has begun out at St. Andrews in the final golf major of the year, but all the talk surrounds what Tiger Woods had to say about the Live Golf League. I'll have that, plus Heinz Field no more as the home for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ugh. Get ready for some action-packed, fast-paced sports talk like no other. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. We're already in the middle of July. Didn't I just talk about how the second half of the year was beginning and that the unofficial beginning of summer, which was six weeks ago, might as well feel like six seconds ago, because now we're just about halfway through the month. Jeez, I mean, time. Can we chill out for a little bit? It certainly has no friends and waits for no one. So let's get cracking as you're here to listen to me critique or praise on what's happening in the sports universe as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Quite a bit to get into here as we zoom through July, as I just mentioned, and what's taking place. Golf, the final major, has already teed off. St. Andrews, the Open, I'll preview that. Even give you an up-to-the-second date on the leaderboard and what's going on there. But the big news has been swirling around the Live Golf League and what Tiger Woods had to say, so you know I'll have to share my two cents on that. As well as what's happening with the NHL free agency period. Yes, not as glamorous as the NFL, NBA, even baseball for that matter. But a lot of comings and goings. Wheeling and dealing, as I like to say. And one particular instance is Pittsburgh because the Penguins and what they've done, all right, you got to give it up to them by bringing back their core, but 
Is it a little bit too late or even a good thing that they reunite Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, and Evgeny Malkin? That NBA Donovan Mitchell, now we may have some reports emanating out of there where they may be interested. I should say there's a willingness to listen to offers for Spider, so you know I'll get into that, as well as Heinz Field no more, and you know where I'm going to go in that direction. So let's get started. Baseball is going to be front and center as we now get ready for the final weekend before the All-Star break, as the scene will shift to LA starting pretty much Sunday, even while Major League Baseball games are going to be played. But with the Futures game, you also have the draft, which is usually in the early part or the middle of June, but now they want to make this one big weekend into the early part of the week to go along with the Home Run Derby and even the All-Star Game. I'll talk more about that on Monday. But as we get to the weekend and what has taken place so far, of course, the big series down in Atlanta between the Mets and Braves, and that's where I will start us off as I just finished lacing up my cleats and I'm heading to the batter's box. As I mentioned on the podcast Monday, this was a huge series for the Mets. Granted that they're going to play nine times in, I believe, a 16-day period next month. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I know the Mets and Braves will reunite at City Field for five games to make up one of those games from the lockout to start off the year. And then about a week after that, they'll play four games in Atlanta. So you'll have that bookended stretch where from that one weekend to the next, the Braves and Mets will clash a total of, let's face it, a half a season worth of games, considering they play 19, almost a half. You get where I'm going. But because these teams hadn't played since May, and a lot has obviously developed since then with the Braves getting back into the NL East division mix and the Mets playing well without Many of their key pieces, of course, with Scherzer now back two starts in, and I'll get to him in a second. Still waiting on Jacob deGrom, but with Starling Marte out, James McCann, who's been out most of the year anyway, and having to piece this together as a team that has big aspirations. We all know what the Mets were going to be coming into this year, and the one thing I take away from these three games is that they've been very resourceful. They've had many of their players step up in big spots, And even with players that they've expected to do big things, a la Eduardo Escobar coming here on a two-year, $20 million contract, was he the key piece or a major focal point when it came to the Mets offseason? No, but knowing the numbers that he had in the past when he played in Arizona, putting up some power numbers, average, not so much, but this year he has been overall not good, but with the way he performed there, especially in the game yesterday, and again, just a total team effort from what we've seen here, granted that they did lose the middle game of the series against Atlanta, you do have to feel good about this team, and not that this is anything new to the Met fan, because we've pretty much been doing this, I would say since the middle of May, once Scherzer went down, because a lot of people thought that, uh uh-oh, this is where the waters are going to get rocky, and let's see if the Mets will fold here a little bit, as they've done over the last half a decade, I'll give the 2015 and 16 seasons a break considering that they made it to a World Series and gone to a wild card round the following year. So now with this team trying to get its pieces back and knowing that this was a series that they had to win, obviously minimum one, they didn't want to get embarrassed and get swept, 
And more so, if they happen to win two games, they did a phenomenal job. And it started Monday night with Max Scherzer. Seven innings, one run, three hit ball, nine strikeouts, and just a dominant performance by him. Back-to-back, going back to the performance against the Reds there, where the team did end up losing. And as I said on Monday, how the Mets can't afford to lose Scherzer starts, especially when you play against bad teams. So what he put forth Monday night, was the effort of a closer, of a stopper, of a guy that you knew that going into that game, he was going to pull out all the stops. And that's why Steve Cohen paid him $43 million to win that type of game. Back that up by Edwin Diaz. Granted, it was a three-run save, but he came in, struck out the side. And I will say this about Edwin Diaz. Maybe he's having one of those years, similar to his final year in Seattle, Now, he's not going to total the 57 saves and have that fireman of the year, if you remember going way back, and I mean way back, when Rolades had the AL and NL closer, which they called fireman of the year, because, of course, those were guys that put out the fire. But he is having that type of season to where not only is he an all-star, but he's a guy that is at his peak level. But the $64,000 question is, and this goes to all the Met fans out there, when you absolutely have to have that save in September and October, are you holding your breath? This guy right here, I'm doing exactly that. He's been great. I cannot critique him one bit with how he's performed this year. But again, let me see this in a huge must-have spot. Whether it be Later in the year, especially toward the end of the regular season, and obviously once we get into the postseason. Those are going to be where those saves are going to count times 10. The game on Tuesday, Dave Peterson struck out a lot of guys, did pitch well, but then gave up the mistake to Matt Olson, and then the Mets weren't able to bounce back. And then yesterday, in a quick turnaround, getaway day, Chris Bassett, who has been up and down, and I understand he came off the COVID list, So maybe he's just getting his bearings back after the game against Miami. And here he was, front and center, who pitched well, six innings, gave you a good effort. And they were able to get on Charlie Morton early, the Eduardo Escobar homer, and then the three-run homer by Lindor to give him a little cushion. And then the Mets just pretty much cruised from there, leading 7-1 and then end up winning 7-3. And now to go to Chicago for four, which to me, minimum, you have to win three of these games here. You cannot come out of Wrigley Field with a split. The Cubs are awful. They've been terrible the whole year. And I don't even want to hear it. If you're a Mets fan, all right, I won't say sweep. I'll give the Cubs one game. And the Mets have not played well at Wrigley Field over the last few years. You can even look it up. Minus the NLCS when they swept the Cubs and won the two games at Wrigley to clinch the pennant. But besides that, they have not played well there over the years. And I expect that to change here considering how the Mets have played and I'm sure they want to close out this first half on a high note and the Cubs again they're out to sea for 2022 but just like we've seen all year long with this team no matter who's out of the lineup no matter who's out of the rotation there always seems to be a next man up mentality and the Mets have done that here in this series to make you think that even though there's still plenty of baseball to be played 
And obviously, those two big series next month with the Braves, which could pretty much be telling for the rest of the summer. But at least for right now, two and a half games up in the division. When you went into that series, you were able to come out of it with a game, extra in the standings. And now, you hopefully close out the Cubs, go into the break, and then once we get back to business the following week, you just take it from there. And one thing I failed to mention, especially in the middle game, because Peterson, who... Obviously got the loss there. But Seth Lugo, you got to wonder whether or not what's going on between his ears because Lugo was a guy that, as we've seen over the years, lockdown type of guy. I know that he didn't start off last year. Remember, he had that partial tear. I believe it was a UCL deal. I know it was something with the elbow. And not to say that that's lingering or that's cropping up here to the point where he's been ineffective. But Lugo hasn't been the guy that you could totally entrust. And I know, for one, when we look at this Met bullpen, and they're going to need some reinforcements. Who knows what's going to happen with Trevor May, if he's going to come back at all. Joely Rodriguez, I know he's a lefty guy. You're only going to expect him in certain spots. But when we look at the Drew Smiths of the world, who did give up a run yesterday, but all right, I'm not going to kill him. And hasn't been effective here over the last X amount of games. On top of, I mentioned with Lugo, you have to wonder whether or not that the Mets, between having to get a bat and also now another arm in that bullpen to reinforce that pen, you would think that Steve Cohen, Billy Epler and company, I would think we're going to work the phones throughout this All-Star break as we get into August, because I believe the deadline, which I know it's usually July 31st, but I believe they pushed it to August 15th, considering there are no more transactions, those waiver deals that you get after the 31st, that's no more. So, plenty of time between now and then. Just something to think about there in the back of your head, Met fans, as I'm sure you're well aware. But moving forward to see how this team will shape up as we get deeper into the month and obviously before the trade deadline. A few other stories from the past couple of days. The Blue Jays said, time to pull the plug on Charlie Montoya, their manager, which the Jays were expected to do big things. And as of right this moment, they are currently fourth In the AL East, and mind you, they're just a game and a half behind the Rays and tied with the Red Sox. And the Red Sox have hit the skids here a little bit as they've lost three in a row after winning against the back end of that Yankee series. So they go down to Tampa and get swept, including Chris Sale, his return, where he was pretty good. Five innings, five strikeouts, three hits, one walk, didn't give up a run. So that's something to build on if you're Chris Sale and the Red Sox. But for them to get swept there after the Rays got swept in Cincinnati, so they bounced back in a nice way after getting embarrassed over the weekend out in the Great American Ballpark. But the Blue Jays is where we're at at the moment. 47-42, and 42, underachieved so far. Montoya out. Their bench coach, John Schneider, is now the interim. Who knows what that's going to do, if that's going to turn their fortunes around, a la Joe Girardi with the Phillies and how they were, what, seven or eight under, and now they're at least in the mix for the wild card in the NL. So the Jays had to do something. Unfortunately, the season has not gone the way it has. They got off to a very good start, and for whatever the reason, they've fallen on some hard times here. So let's see, including a sweep in Seattle, which I'll segue to in a second, But the Blue Jays, let's see if that jump starts their team. We know the division is long gone. The Yankees have that already wrapped up. But as far as them getting some wild card positioning, maybe get a 
four seed where they could host a wild card round. So plenty of baseball as we know, but let's see what that move does for them. As far as the Seattle Mariners, break them up. I showed them no love the other day. I gave some love to the Baltimore Orioles and what they've done, and I'll get to them right after this little segment with the Mariners. Here's a team similar to Toronto that was supposed to have a big year. They won 90 games last year. A lot of people around baseball thought that this could be a team that may be able to take the next step. Not to say for division with the Astros, but in contention for a playoff spot, wild card, and see where that goes. But here they are, 45 and 42, I believe, at this present juncture of the season. And we know the cast of characters there with Julio Rodriguez, who will likely be your rookie of the year in the American League. And the veterans that they got from Cincinnati, the Eugenio Suarez's, the Jesse Winklers, Adam Frazier, and he's had a down year. But those are guys that are the linchpins of that lineup, throwing Ty France. And then Robbie Ray leads your rotation. Not a sexy rotation when you look at Chris Flexen and Logan Gilberts and guys like that. And their closer is Paul Seawald. And Met fans know who Paul Seawald is. So I know you have to wonder as we get down the stretch into the regular season if the Mariners are going to fight for a playoff spot, having Paul Seawold come in to close games, a little dicey. But give it up for them and their season, how they've been able to turn it around and put themselves in the AL mix. And what does that mean for the Baltimore Orioles as now they're over 500 and all of a sudden the AL East looks like a strong division to the point where the Orioles are two games behind the Toronto Blue Jays for fourth place. And really, with the Red Sox too, as they're also tied with them, as I mentioned a minute ago. And Baltimore, their pitching isn't great either. It's not as if they're throwing out Jim Palmer and Dave McAnally and Mike Flanagan and those old Baltimore Oriole teams. You know, you got guys like Jordan Lyles and Tyler Wells, Bruce Zimmerman. I mean, you have guys that you wouldn't even know if you could pick them out of a lineup. Their closer is actually pretty good in the one Jorge Lopez, and their bullpen has actually been what stabilized their pitching staff here throughout the course of this streak. And their lineup is good, not spectacular, but solid, led by Trey Mancini and Adley Rutschman. I know his average is low, but he's given them a boost. The young phenom catcher who has come up and given them a little bit of a jolt. Also, Anthony Santander, Cedric Mullins is your guy in center field who they may even use as a carrot to dangle to maybe even bring in some pitching if the Orioles decide to want to buy at the trade deadline. Who knows? But the Orioles and Brandon Hyde, their manager, you got to give it up for what they've done here. A lot of people thought the Orioles were going to lose 100 games, as I mentioned, and right now they're on a pace to win 82. Is that going to happen? I don't think so. I would think that the gas in the tank will start to slowly but surely get down to E because when a team that's young and a team that's building, when they have a stretch like this to where they come back, you know that the other side of the mountain is going to come. And I'm not even rooting for them to lose 14 of 17 or really go into the tank. I hope that they can sustain this to be around for a little bit. But do I think right away they're going to be a contender for a wild card spot in the American League? Absolutely not. Do I think that they can hang around till the middle of August? I highly doubt that. Because like I said, this 10-game winning streak has put them one game over 500. So 
Go a week and a half ago, they were nine under, and I'm sure you were thinking that they were going to lose minimum 90 to 95 games. And at this moment, yes, they're on track to be over 500 for the season. But do we absolutely expect that, even with this 10-game winning streak? I can't say I do. And that's not to throw cold water to my guy, Jai, in Baltimore. That's not to say that this team isn't for real. They've done an excellent job just to get here, to turn their season around, to maybe even give their fans a little bit of hope. But do I think that by the end of this month, is this a team, and I have to look at their schedule, and I don't have it in front of me at this moment. We could talk about that a week from today. But I can't see this being something that's going to be sustainable over the course of the next two, four, six weeks, etc. Where Seattle, there were expectations, and maybe, unlike the Chicago White Sox, Seattle now has gotten their bearings and now they can shift into gear and maybe make a run for the AL wildcard. As far as the schedule this upcoming weekend, you don't really have a lot to chew on. Can I really get excited about the White Sox going into Minnesota? And I've destroyed the White Sox here in the past. If you've listened, I don't think they're going to get their season at any point on the tracks unless they pull a St. Louis Cardinals from last year where they win 17 in a row. And I can't foresee that, especially at this present moment, considering they're, what, 43 and 45? But maybe if they go into the Twin Cities and sweep, not to say that up, I think they're going to be primed and ready for a run. We saw what they did, what was it, about a week and a half ago when they went into San Francisco, and the Giants are a good team, swept them, and then they came home to face the Twins, and they had to have some late-inning heroics in the third game to avoid being swept. So I'm not a believer as of yet, but that's pretty much the only thing that I look at as far as the schedule goes this weekend. Yes, I know the Yankees and Red Sox renew their rivalry, but I can't look at that and think that, oh, I got to make appointment television to see what's going to happen there between both of those teams. Let's see. Other than that, yes, there's nothing really to chew on. I know Kansas City's going to Toronto, and what's big about that series? You have 10 Royals players that are unvaccinated that aren't going to make the trip because of the stringent rules and regulations when it comes to the vaccination in Canada. You just had a few Phillies, including JT Rio Muto, not make the trip where the Phillies have not hit the skids a little bit, losing four in a row. So that's something to keep in mind if Toronto is going to pound the Royals into submission this weekend. You're going to know why, because half of the team is not going to be there. But other than that, are you going to get crazy about the Dodgers and Angels renewing their freeway series? I don't think so. So that's what you have. Baltimore at Tampa. I guess right now you have to look at that as a big series because let's see if Baltimore, with everything that they've done and Tampa sweeping the Red Sox, can Baltimore put a little crimp in the Rays plans to where maybe they can win two out of three? Now, again, I just talked about this a second ago. They've won 10 in a row. You figure they're at the top of the mountain. Is it time to start sliding down or are they just going to come tumbling down? And this weekend could be an indicator of that. So I'll pay attention to that this weekend. Other than that, we'll get into what took place on Monday. We get at the Home Run Derby, the All-Star Game. I'll share a few moments on that as far as my thoughts. But I won't get into a preview of the second half until next Thursday. That's when I'll really go in and dissect everything what's going on. Pretty much going to be status quo. I don't think there's going to be a team or teams that 
are going to all of a sudden make a charge here, despite what Seattle's done, even Baltimore. So we'll get a complete lay of the land next week, but we'll recap everything what's happening here over the weekend on Monday as we inch closer to the All-Star break. Before I break out my golf clubs, and I should probably go there only because the Open is taking place now out at St. Andrews, the formerly known as the British Open, and also what Tiger Woods had to say. But I want to get into the NHL free agency so I can lace up my skates real quick because I'm sure the hockey fan who is chomping at the bit right now, we understand that the free agency period for the NHL isn't as sexy as the NFL, the NBA, or even Major League Baseball for that matter. But there have been a lot of comings and goings, a lot that is taking place here over the last 24 hours, and even with some trades. So I want to touch on that, but in particular... The Pittsburgh Penguins, because if you think back to my Stanley Cup playoff preview, and this is, I believe, that first Monday in May, May 2nd off the top of my head, to where one of the storylines were, is this going to be the end of the Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, Evgeny Malkin era? Because with Letang and Malkin, both free agents, you would think maybe the Penguins would look elsewhere, maybe try to bring younger players in, scorers, and... I get it. It's tough to break up the core that have brought you hardware, that have won MVPs, that have won Stanley Cups, all of it. But here's what the Penguins did. Not only had they re-signed Chris Letang about a week ago, but just a couple days ago, they figured, let's bring in Evgeny Malkin. Let's try to run it back. We know that we were just an overtime playoff goal in round one, mind you in order to go to the second round of a Stanley Cup playoff series, if that's the bar that is set in Pittsburgh, then it's very low. Considering the pedigree, considering the track record of these three players. But the reason why I bring this up first is because I understand with GMs, front offices, organizations, where it's tough to part with the aging star. It's tough to part with the guy that you know his jersey is going to be hung in the rafters. Sidney Crosby, I get it. Sid the kid, for everything that he's meant to that organization from the time he was drafted to this very second, I understand why you're going to keep him to the very end. Same for Malkin and Latang on a lesser scale. But as I look at it, with the injuries that Malkin has had over the last couple of years, and he didn't start the season, and Latang. We understand how much he means to that franchise as well. But if I was a GM, and I understand I'm not a Penguin fan, but let's just say I was because I could just look at the Boston Celtics as the example if you want to talk about my team. And here's the great case in point to cover it all. To where Danny Ainge in that 2013 season where he thought that he had to trade Paul Pierce And not to compare him to Sidney Crosby, but a guy that was originally drafted by his team, had been there for 15 years, won a championship, been to another, etc. And it was time to part ways. And with Kevin Garnett, the blood and guts and even heart and soul to a certain degree. Having to trade them to the Brooklyn Nets. And I've talked about this in the past and you know what Ainge did as far as turning the franchise around. So he had to make that bold move. And the reason why he did that is because he saw what took place in the late 80s on his old Celtic teams to where Red Auerbach 
and the brass of the Celtics kept Bird, kept McHale, kept Paris too long. Mind you, Bird started the breakdown with the back, and McHale, ever since the broken foot in 87, wasn't the same player. But still, he rolled those players out to the very end, where I'm sure if it was the 89 season, maybe even 1990, where the Celtics were certainly on the other side of that mountain, as I've talked about and stressed here a couple of times on the podcast. But with the organization keeping its aging stars, what happens is, is that you're unable to get some young legs. You're unable to get some players that could be hungry, that could learn from Sidney Crosby, that could take you back to a conference final or to a Stanley Cup final. But instead, what did the Penguins do? They brought back the old guard. They brought back the players that are part of the community, part of the fabric for so long. But is that going to get you to a Stanley Cup? Is that going to get you deep into a Stanley Cup playoff? It hasn't happened since the 2016-17 year when they beat Nashville. So we're talking five years removed from that. Why would that change now? These players aren't getting any better. Yes, they're still good. Yes, they're still effective. But there are a lot of miles on those odometers when it comes to those three players, but those two in particular because they had to resign Latang and Malkin. So those days are long gone, if you ask me. And I think it's going to be a mistake. Granted, did they break the bank for these guys? I believe Latang got, I want to say six for 36, and Malkin got four for 24. It's not seven for 63 or anything like that, but you got to get younger because the NHL, it's all about the young guys. The aging vets and superstars, yes, they may have the experience. Yes, they may have the know-how, the will, etc. But the body can't hold up to the 25-year-old. And I think the Penguins made a big mistake by re-signing both of those guys. You want to re-sign Malkin and let Latango, Or if you know you can't let Latango because you need that anchor on the back line, but you let Malkin go, all right, fine. But to bring them both back, I wouldn't have done it. As it was, speaking of Pittsburgh, they did sign Jan Ruda from Tampa, so they bring a little bit of that experience, winning Stanley Cups, being part of a winning culture to Pittsburgh, and with two members of the back line gone, of course, the Lightning traded Ryan McDonough earlier this offseason to the Nashville Predators, so you have two key members that are out, and Tampa, you know that they were going to have these cap issues to where they were going to have to piece it together. They were going to have to see what they could do to try to keep guys like Andre Pallad and a few other players on top of that. But as it is, they lose two of these guys right now. So as we take a look at the land here when it comes to free agency, Darcy Kemper, remember he, goaltender of the Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. Well, now he goes to Washington as he signs with them. Now, of course, Colorado made that trade to the Rangers for Alexander Georgiev, who looks like is going to be the guy who will take the reins in net next year moving forward. So Kemper and his experience goes to the Capitals. And just to go through some of these other deals, I know Carolina in the trade, they get Brent Burns from San Jose, the aging defenseman, although they lose Vincent Trocek to the Rangers, the center, as he signs a big deal there, seven years, $39 million. He's going to make about $5.6 annually. Jack Campbell, the goalie of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and we know how just snake-bitten they've been over the years, especially in the postseason. He goes to Edmonton, so we'll see all that 
experience that he's had to go through in Toronto. He brings that to Edmonton. We all know Mike Smith, the 40-year-old who had his moments in the postseason, but not a guy that you're going to ask to bring a Stanley Cup to Edmonton as they were just one step away from getting to a cup final. So Campbell's a guy. Let's see what he does out in Alberta. And you had a bunch of signings. Claude Giroux, three years with Ottawa. Johnny Gaudreau signed with Columbus of all teams, which was a little bit of a surprise. Were the Islanders in the mix? I would like to know what's happening with Lou Lamorello working the phones to try to bring in a goal scorer. Goudreau, let's see what he does. I believe he signed for eight years. Andre Burakovsky, who had the overtime goal in game one against the Lightning. He goes to Seattle, so he'll team up with the number one pick there in Shane Wright to bring a little more offense to the Kraken. Colorado did keep a few of their players with Josh Manson, Arturi Lekkanen, also Valerie Nitsuzhin. Now, who knows what's going to happen with Nas Kadri? He's a guy that looks like he's probably going to sign elsewhere. As of now, who knows where he's rumored to go. But Kadri, who contributed big time in this postseason, he's probably going to get a big payday elsewhere. Uh, other than that, pretty much what I got, a lot of the big names off the board... Off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of who else I've been missing here. But as we now get into the second full day of free agency, I'm sure you're going to have a couple of more signings, some deals that will be made. I know that as we get into the latter part of the weekend, it will start to die down, start to quiet down. But as of this second, I know there are a couple of the trades. I know the Devils made a trade with the Bruins. But as I said... Not as sexy, not as appealing when it comes to the NHL and free agency, but there have been some moves. A little bit too early to tell who's made the power moves, who's gotten the winner or loser label of the offseason as we're just getting started. So you know that come Monday, whatever else happens between now and then, I'll be sure to take a look at and share with you guys and gals as to who did what here over the course of the next few days. And then you had Duncan Keith retire 17 years Formerly of the Blackhawks, of course, also finished his career that one year in Edmonton. 17 years, multiple Norris Trophy winner for best defenseman. Obviously, the three cups as he goes off into the sunset. So congratulations to Duncan Keith for a remarkable NHL career. All right, now let me break out the golf clubs. The Open has begun. St. Andrews, the famed golf course where the final major has already teed off. And currently, just to give you, it's not really up to the second, depending on when you're listening to this, because of course I'm doing this on the fly in real time. But early on, you have Cameron Smith, just a couple of strokes behind the leader, and currently on the 16th hole and a one Cameron Young. And again, this is just way too early to tell how this is all going to shake down. And even though I could talk about how Ernie Els currently is tied with Cameron Smith, But do we really expect the Ernie Els to be there at the top of the leaderboard come after the cut tomorrow? Dare I even say Saturday or Sunday? Absolutely not. And with the Open being played, we always talk about how the weather conditions could play a factor. I haven't watched. I don't know what the weather report is at the current state. I know that as you're getting this, of course, this isn't live like I mentioned, and As we get into the weekend, we always look at St. Andrews as a course where it's just cloudy, 
blustery, the conditions are just not made for golf, where a lot of the reports have it that the weekend could be pretty fair. Yes, there'll be some wind, but not along the likes of you'll see the windbreakers or the long sleeve shirts. Yeah, you may still see that, but not along the lines of just the winds whipping and looking like golf is the last thing that these players want to do in order to try to win a championship. So very early on, not much that we could say here as far as what's gone on, but I figured I'd just give you a little bit of an update here. Depending on when you get this, you could probably listen to this on Sunday and it's going to be super moot because, again, I'm just going at this in real time. But when we look at it overall, obviously you're going to look at the top guys, whether your name is John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler. We'll see what Tiger does. I'll get to him in a minute. Not that we expect a lot out of Tiger, even though he did not participate in the U.S. Open. But when it's all said and done, and I don't have a guy that I'm going to predict because it's really tough, but we know who the top guys are, the Justin Thomases of the world, Jordan Spieth, guys like that. If there's going to be a dark horse, who knows? I couldn't even tell you at this current juncture because St. Andrews was always just a tricky course, not necessarily because of the course itself, but because of the conditions. That's what it really is and what it boils down to. But I would think for this last major, these players are going to go all out. They're going to show and prove to try to get not only toward the top of the leaderboard, but also to not necessarily knock the live tour, but to have these guys go at it knowing that this is going to be it for the year. And when we think about it, in years past, we always looked at the PGA being in August, but since they moved it up to May, now we could say goodbye after Sunday. So it's kind of hard to predict, at least right this second, to see who's going to win this tournament. And of course, I can't even say anything because the tournament's already begun. So it's not as if I'm going to say, oh yeah, well, Cam Smith, I think is going to be my guy who I believe I picked to win the Masters, if I'm not mistaken, a few months ago. But to segue that to the bigger news was Tiger Woods, and he had some things to say about the Live Golf League and pretty much calling that organization, didn't mention it by name, disagrees with the players, making their exodus over to play for this Saudi Arabia league, which, as I've said before, has no feel, obviously no history. And for Tiger to come out to say that these players have turned their back on the PGA, pretty much whatever it is that they built to get to this point, was on the pillars of what the PGA was able to provide. And we understand. Capitalist society, if somebody's making $50 million and somebody offers you $200 million, of course you're going to take the $200 million, totally understand, but at the same time, and I believe what Tiger has to say, he's absolutely right. Again, it's a free world, you can do whatever you want, if they're going to dangle that carrot in front of you, of course most people are going to take it. And when we look at some of these golfers, the big guys, you're a little bit surprised that the Dustin Johnsons, Bryson DeChambeau's, the Brooks Kepkas of the world who have won major tournaments, who I'm sure have very good sponsorships, including Dustin Johnson, who I believe had made $94 million on the tour. You would think that, I guess, another $200 million is going to make his life even more complete. All right, that's for him to decide and live with, and God bless him for it. But Tiger's point is that this league has been built the backs on so many other players before them, and to play at these golf courses that are not only iconic, obviously Augusta, Pebble Beach, go through them all. 
And to not have that anymore to just play three rounds. And yes, even if you're last in the tournament at the Live Tour, you still make money where, of course, if you're going to not make the cut, sorry, you're not going to get a dime. So you got to earn your keep, which is something to be said about it. I understand that also could be a little archaic, but that's just how it is. And I'm sure the PGA, they're not going to change that. So for Tiger to come out and pretty much stick up for the PGA and despite him pretty much on the downside of his career, having to battle through all these injuries and of course the car accident with his leg, etc., his voice is still powerful. And I'm sure the PGA, they were doing cartwheels, backflips, and getting drunk on the Dom Perignon when he made those comments there right before the start of this tournament. And I understand people are going to say, Tiger's washed up, he's not the same guy. But again, we know what he's done throughout his career. We know the presence that Tiger Woods has to the sport, even with him not being the old Tiger Woods. So it certainly accounts for something, knowing that you have a guy who has been the face of golf for the last two and a half decades. And for his words to resonate and have that impact for the rest of the tour, not only means something, but means everything to the sport right now. Especially with what's happening with the Live Golf Tour and players, although not recently, taking that leap of that jump, but just being a factor in what goes on here with the golf landscape, knowing that the PGA has taken some hits. And Tiger has, not going to say put to rest, but certainly everybody could exhale a little bit, knowing that it's top player, maybe not by stature, as far as him being number one in the world like he once was, but of course by reputation and his iconic status, he's obviously gone a long way here in the last couple of days, based on what he said. A couple of quickies before I say goodbye. I'll start with the NBA. Now we're getting word that the Utah Jazz are willing to listen to offers for one Donovan Mitchell. This on the heels of them trading Rudy Gobert a couple weeks ago for a boatload of picks and players. And with the money that Gobert is making, and you could argue whether or not that it was worth the Timberwolves going all in, bringing this type of player in, despite the fact that he's been a multiple defensive player of the year. And I actually like the deal. Yes, maybe long-term with the money that he's making, etc. Not so much, but we'll see how that plays out. They did spend a lot on Gobert, but who knows what team's going to step up to even think about trying to procure the services and talent of a one Donovan Spider-Mitchell. And if the GMs forgot, How Danny Ainge operates. Going back to the aforementioned deal where Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and we know what the Celtics got then. And then what we saw here a couple weeks ago as he fleeced the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm sure there are a lot of GMs saying, don't think about picking up the phone to call Utah because Danny's going to ask for the sun, moon, stars, my firstborn, my car in the garage, and maybe even the house to bring in a player that is young, that is still on the come up. We've seen how he's played over the years, and you could say he's a top 15, top 20 player in the league. And the one team I thought about, as far as maybe even trying to think about bringing him into an organization or to a new team, is the Knicks. And if you heard my 
rant a couple of weeks ago about where this front office has been, Leon Rose, World Wide West, etc. If you really want to make a statement, and even with that, Donovan Mitchell is not a transformational, franchise life-saving type of player, but he would be a tremendous piece to go along with Jalen Brunson, as well as Julius Randle, unless they're still willing to deal him. And I don't think Utah wants Julius Randle. I'm sure they want to start with R.J. Barrett and then move on down. But even if you're the Knicks, you would still have some buyer beware because of who you're dealing with on the other side. And that's the theme when it comes to them being willing to listen to offers. You also have to think, uh uh-oh, what does Danny want for this player considering what he got for Rudy Gobert? Now, I don't know if he's going to go anywhere. I don't know if there's going to be a GM just as shrewd. The only other executive in the league that I think I would truly trust, at least off the top of my head right now, is Pat Riley. Because Riley would have to give up assets, but not to the point where he's just going to spend like a drunken sailor just to bring this player in. Riley knows better than that. And I think Mitchell will be a good fit in Miami. But with that, you're going to have a guy that's small. We know the NBA is all about a wing player that's going to be 6'7 and up. And I believe Mitchell's, what, 6'5? So when you have him, Butler, you don't have a lot of size there. You may have a lot, a lot of heart and a lot of talent, but you don't have that exceptional athletic ability with that size that plays above the rim that's going to get you to a championship, which obviously most teams are looking for. And we get it. It's a three-point shooting lead. They're looking for shooters. I get that, but... We all know the wing player is going to dominate whether on the perimeter or as he gets to the basket playing above the rim. So I don't know. Ainge is the master of this. I would think GMs are going to stay hush or not even think about making a call unless they're desperate. And who knows? There's always one fool out there that's going to say, ah, what the hell? Let's just go all in and then pay the piper later on. So we'll see how this all unfolds in Utah if it ever does in the days and weeks to come. And then lastly, Heinz Field, rest in peace. This isn't 1975, this isn't even 1985, I get it. And for people to say, Jay Reels, this is how the lay of the land is, this is the world we live in with these corporate names, getting the rights of these stadiums, and I totally understand that. Heinz Field had a nice run of 20 years as the name of that stadium once it was built after Three Rivers. And just like we saw with the Staples Center to Crypto.com Arena, which that's a joke, and now we have Heinz Field to Acrisure Stadium. I'm going to call it Manicure Stadium because Acrisure, that's too much to enunciate. Acrisure. Think about it. Try saying that five times. And they're not even based out of Pittsburgh, a la Heinz. This is an insurance brokerage firm based out of Michigan who's made a ton of money here over the last X amount of years. And good for them, and God bless them. Now that they have the naming rights, they could put their whole firm out for the world to see in a stadium that has hosted plenty of playoff games, and we know about the Steel organization, etc. But, oh, as a fan and a lifelong fan, I can't stand it. I'm going to call it Heinz Field until I'm good and ready. And people could say, Jay Reels, oh, please, get with the times. Stop being the old man on the lawn. Uh, I just can't stand with these name changes. And I get it. It happens. 20 years. I'm sure in another 
seven years when City Field is going to be up and I'm sure they're going to change it to something else, I'm going to have to live with that too. And City Field, of course, the home of the Mets for those who aren't aware. But I just can't stand it. All these crazy, weird arena names and I still call Comiskey Park Comiskey. What is it? Progressive Field or Progressive Rate Stadium? I don't even know. I can't stand it. And to me, those stadiums will always be what I feel that they are. Even Oracle Park in San Francisco it used to be Pac Bell and it was AT&T. To me, I still call it AT&T. I'm not even going to call it Oracle Park. When I think of Oracle, I think of the old building that the Warriors used to play in before they moved to the Chase Center in San Francisco. So I just had to gripe about that. And uh, I just, just leaves a bad taste. And not only that, I can't even pronounce it. Can't pronounce half of these players' names as it is to begin with. Now I can't pronounce the stadium or the name of this brokerage firm. Ugh. Just awful. Well, that'll do it, people. Another episode in the books. And before I go, I just want to thank you, each and every one of you, for stopping by to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. You know I do not take your participation for granted, or lightly for that matter. And if you haven't done so, like I said at the top, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. So throw me a few stars, write a review, just to increase the visibility of this podcast. For those who aren't familiar with it, I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, or suggestion, you could go to any of my social media accounts, TikTok, the J Reels Podcast, Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, I did post on Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's if you want to contribute to this endeavor where it goes all to the production of this podcast, the upkeep of the website, equipment, etc. And I did post a blog on there a couple days ago, so if you want to peep that, please. The link is in the show notes. You can see it down there. And if you want to contribute, I would humbly and gratefully appreciate that because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. Sports have been my life pretty much since birth. Talking about it, reading about it, even playing once upon a time, but anything that encompasses And then on top of that, to be behind this microphone, to critique it, analyze opinions, thoughts, anything and everything that goes on. The world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.